Hi guys. As you can see, we wanted to uh, do the panel here, not up there, and just continue this sort of where one thing, we're not separated from you guys. And this morning, we do really want to encourage you to ask questions as well. So, you know, we have questions at the table, but that's, there's no law or rules to this, so you can ask questions as we go because, you know, there might be things that one of us mentioned that just burn, it might be burning on your heart. So just put your hand up. Um, the question needs to relate to what we're talking about, okay? And it's a question, it's not a statement, and so we want to encourage this, this dialogue. Um, if you're here for the first time, um, we're working through a booklet called The Transformational Gospel, and we've been asking questions of what it is and what gospel we've actually received. What gospel did we receive the day that we committed our life to Christ? What gospel are we receiving? Because it's an ongoing reality, isn't it? It's the word that changes us. It's not my ability to understand original texts and those sorts of things. It's not uh, my ability to do stuff for God that changes me. It's God's word and just his word that does the work. And so these are the questions that as a, as a people we need to grapple with because otherwise life just stays the same. Like your, your life will stay the same. If the word isn't performing itself within you, then you will be the same person you were the day you committed your life to Christ. And that's not the goal. The goal is, and the purpose for every follower, is that you would be transformed, or the word says conformed, into the image of the Son. So that is the purpose for every single individual follower of Jesus. We don't need anything more than that, because out of that will come abundant life, and you'll know exactly how to live and what he's calling you to be and do. Because the knowledge of that reality does it all. Um, and so we're going to unpack this question um, today. How do we know which gospel we are receiving? So this is the question that we're going to unpack as a panel. We're going to have a discussion around and how do we know which gospel we are receiving? So I want to welcome Melissa. Let's get up for Melissa who's on the panel today. And each week we're going to do this, we're going to add people to the panel. So there might be more people on the panel than there is out there by the time we finish this thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's cool. So guys, your thoughts around that question. Why, uh, sorry, how do we know which gospel we are receiving? How would you know what you'd want to know, wouldn't you? Um, how, so what's the evidence behind that? Anyone want to kick us off? Maybe Chris, Logan. I think it's, it's really important to know that there is a difference between what was and what is. Otherwise, you'll always live in the past thinking that you're in something that you're not. And uh, in John 15, it talks about being in the vine and, and how important that is. Because if we're not in the vine, we're drawing from a different source. When you think of when you, um, I don't know whether you've actually tried to you know, you can have different apple trees on the one on the one tree, and you take the branch of another apple tree of a different type, and you graft it into that tree, and you it's the way you cut it and the way that you bind it in, and then the source of what it is, it's got to learn to draw from a different root source from what it had drawn from before. And that's something that we all have to come into. What source are we drawing it from? Are we always still anxious? Are we always still um, getting upset? Are we always um, going through ups and downs? 
well, what is the root source that we're drawing from? And this is something that I've had to really ask my own life. What is it? Because if I'm drawing from him, there's a different things that come out, the different fruits that come out automatically. Now, when that branch is actually grafted in, it's not trying to think about what type of fruit am I going to try and bear. It, all it's trying to do is draw from a different source. And that's what we should be doing. We should be learning to draw from him continuously because then the fruit takes care of itself. And that's the thing that uh, I've, got a re- I've been really challenging my own life is what am I drawing, who am I drawing from? And if I'm drawing from an old source, why? Have you ever questioned yourself why and what? So for me, that, that's the whole picture that God was showing me is what source am I drawing from? Because it makes a big difference. And as we've looked at, isn't it? There's two trees. There were two trees. Well, there are many trees in the Garden of Eden, but there were really two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's two sources that you and I can be drawing from, but there's only one source that produces life. The other one produces life, but it's actually death. And this is the challenge. If we partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it produces knowledge, Okay, so there is knowledge that comes from that tree. And you think you have life because you have knowledge, but actually it's death. So there's the deception because you think you're receiving something that has life because you have intellectual information that you're gaining that you didn't have, and you go, oh, I've got life. But if it's from that tree, it's death. And you're actually spiritually dying. You're being puffed up in pride, thinking you have something, but you can't live it out. So you're actually dying spiritually, thinking you're living because you've actually acquired information you never had before. We need to, and I love that, you need to know what source, because in the source produces the fruit. And I love what you said, Chris, is we don't try to produce fruit. You know, So the fruit is an outcome of being in the right source. So the goal is to get into the right source, not worry about fruit. And so for a church that's highly functional, highly outcome-driven, KPIs, how many people are this, how many people that, how many of this, how many that, how many this, how many that, that's evidence of a wrong source. The right source is, are we getting to know him? Are we abiding in him? Are we loving him and others? That's the right source. That other stuff will naturally take care of itself if I'm abiding in the right source. Paul, any thoughts? I want to add more to what Chris has Yeah, I love said. the gardening theme. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of heard about our plum tree. Because <laughs> I, I look straight out the window at it. But, you know, just as you're speaking, I was thinking back a few Christmases back. I think the grandbaby's upstairs now. Um, we, yeah, we, we have a grapevine that runs down the back of the section as well. And Christmas time, grapes aren't ready yet. But I, ca- I went and bought grapes and I tied them on the grapevine. <laughs> So the kids could go and pick them, but you know, but that that was that that was me. That was me. You know, tying on this fruit of a Christian life that's actually already dead. It's already been cut off a tree. It's already in a dying process, and I'm tying it to this grapevine so the kids can enjoy it. And that that was that was fine for obviously what it was. But to see that in my own life. To recognise, you know, what he was actually speaking about. And I know he talks to me in the garden, 
and doing the gardening and seeing that. And that whole thing of, of you know, that being rooted and grounded in love. But if we're not rooted and grounded in love, we're rooted, I was rooted and grounded in self. Well, that grafting process requires to be cut off from that root source and then entered into what was cut for me to receive. And that, you know, you ask, how do I know? I know the difference between trying to create grapes and tie them onto a grapevine than letting the actual source of that actually work its way through me and become something that's not an effort to try to and actually also allows a word to be spoken to me and the, and the source is a different source. It's not going to actually you know, reject or, or push back on a word that's being spoken but it's going to be confronted. Just like he says that the father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. So he will come and clean the branches, which may mean pruning and chopping bits off or it might just mean stripping back. The whole purpose is that more fruit can grow in me, but to be able to receive a word that I know is actually for my good is cleaning me, confronting me, rather than actually resisting this word and knowing you know, what's happening inside here. What was previously... I don't need that, actually. No, let me tell you a word to actually, Father, what are you saying? The evidence actually becomes self-evident in. It's been a change, I know, for me. And that's that statement of the truth is self-evident. And I think the greatest challenge that every one of us face is to recognise and then acknowledge the true reality of our lives without any fear of condemnation, guilt, negativity, darkness, to be able to go, our life is the reflection of the Christ we know. And that's okay. Um, Jesus, God, wouldn't want us to stay there. If you choose to, it's still okay, but you're putting the eternal life now and your inheritance at stake in the future to do that. And so there needs to be a recognition saying that my life is the direct reflection of the gospel I'm in. Because as we looked at, there are so many promises and so many absolute statements in God in God and what God says. You know, so he says, if you find the word so that, stop and have a look what's after so that. Because in John 15, he says, I speak... So I'm, a, I'm speaking, the word is spoken. So the word that changes us is a spoken dimension. So he said, I'm speaking, or I spoke, so that you may have my joy. Okay, so in one statement, one sentence, there's an absolute truth being declared. I speak so that my people can know my joy. So the word creates joy. If the word is heard and understood and received and implanted within a person. So to not have joy is to not have the word that produces joy. And my life will reflect whether I have the substance of joy in me. Not happiness. They're very different things. Happiness is an emotion. Nothing wrong with happiness. Joy is the substance of the spirit. It's a fruit of Christ. It's a fruit of eternal life. So joy is a fruit of of an eternal life. If I don't have joy, then I'm not receiving the word that produces joy. And you have to be able to recognize that, acknowledge it, turn to the one who actually can give it, 
receive, and then live joy out. Because your, your life will be the expression of Christ within you. And that's the whole purpose of the word. The challenge is for us, isn't it, is that, and one of the things that um, I've written here and one of the questions I want to ask is, because one of the greatest mistakes we make, and it's the greatest deception, is to claim stuff in here but not be able to live it. Why? I'm ask you. Why do we do that? Why do we claim stuff and actually, although our lives don't reflect it, we still say it? Good question. <laughs> that just brought me five seconds to think about it. Um, I, I think I've seen this, and I think that it's really easy to do because what we have is a written reality that we are supposed to be in. This is someone else's testimony that they have experienced, which is the, the process of a transformed life in Christ. And for me, I see part of it as the, the Christian culture. So these are the things that we've seen from other people. We might have come in not knowing anything, which is actually where we all come in. Um, but, but as we see people that are uh, more mature than us, they might say things that are written down that we go, well, it says that it must be true. And a lot of it is hoping, and sometimes I feel like it's if we say it enough, it'll become true. You know, it's almost like if I can convince myself, then everyone else will be convinced as well. Um, and, and I can see why there's a crossover there, because sometimes faith, well, faith can be irrespective of whatever else it is that someone else is saying. So if I see something in faith that's legitimate, and everyone's telling me that it's the opposite, it is, it's actually irrelevant to me what everyone else is saying. And so... When we're claiming things that aren't our reality, it's almost like we're applying what we understand or believe of faith to something that isn't faith. So let's say um, healing's a really good one because we all do this, you know, and there are many promises in regards to our healing. Now, seeing them outworked in the physical can be different than reading it out loud, you know, and it's really, really obvious um, whether we've received it or not. But some of the things aren't so obvious. You know, um, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have the mind of Christ. You know, all of these things. And, you know, when, when you say that, I mean, the mind of Christ is a classic one. I have the mind of Christ. Paul says it. That, that's his reality. I think he even says we have the mind of Christ. But, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. There's lots of things that I don't have the mind of Christ on. And I'm coming into having the mind of Christ. And I think that part of the empowering each other is the freedom to be able to say that. Yeah. You know, and I, I just want to throw this out there. So this is going back to our first, our first question. You know, one of the things that I've, I've, I feel like lots of people here struggle with, and, and one of the things that kind of brought clarity to me was, um, you know, falling on the rock or being broken into pieces. You know, lots of us are going... Am I, aren't I, is this my reality or isn't it my reality? And it's one of those things that we're kind of going, you know, what's my defining point, you know? And, and I just want to say, whether Greg or Sandra or Chris says that it's happened to you or not is actually irrelevant. If it's happened to you, you'll know it's happened to you. And if it hasn't happened to you, you'll be wondering if it's happened to you. And either position is okay. So it's really okay. What it, what it means to, to be broken is that the thing, and this is what I wanted to get to, the thing that is within you that is actively resisting God is broken. 
So does it mean that we have the mind of Christ? It means we're in the process of coming into having the mind of Christ. And the thing that stopped me being able to hear and receive the thing that was from God for me is gone. Now I can hear it and receive it. So an example of that is, and I hope this person doesn't mind me using this example, this week, um, someone, um, I spoke to someone on the phone and they said, look, I've just had a dream, um, it's about you, and it wasn't really a positive dream, I'm just going to say that, and they were like, this, is a positive, th- this isn't a positive dream, it's hard for me to say it, it was done in love, it was, it was perfectly fine, it was all good, um, but they said, here's this thing, and I want you to, you know, do with it what you will. It wasn't loaded. It wasn't like, this is you. Da, da, da. It was like, this is this thing that's on my heart. I want to share it with you. As a, as a family member, what are you going to do with it? And I was like, awesome. Cool. I'm not even concerned that it might expose something in my life. Do you know why? Because I see that what it is that he has for me is for me. If something is unearthed that I wasn't aware of, well, thank you, Jesus, because that's what I've been praying for anyway. And, you know, I love what you said on, on Wednesday morning in prayer, Greg. If a person is dead on the ground and you're insulting them, what do they care? So when we're dead, there's nothing that someone is going to say that is actually a factor. And I'll just finish with this example. You know, we had a, had a conversation this week with a, um, within my family, and it was about some some issues and things and in the process of it someone said oh you've got to be careful that you don't condemn people you know the word condemnation came out and and, you know Greg used that before and I I was just I just was like condemning like first of all my heart isn't isn't about that and I, I felt like my words were really soft anyway I was really you know but I just I just responded and I said how is it possible to even condemn you because I said, actually, none of you guys have got the power to condemn me. You can say anything you like, and you won't condemn me. Because you can't condemn me. Because you didn't justify me. Yeah. And, and I feel like that, that's what it, the heart of what it is that I'm trying to say in regards to, am I in this or am I not in this? You know, if Greg turns around and says to me, Chris, you're the worst Christian in the world. You're barely saved. You know, all the rest <laughs> of it, and give, puts us back into really condemning me. Well, sure, I'm going to take it to my father and go, God, what are you saying about that? But at the end of the day, he didn't justify me. So what power does he have to condemn me? And this is, this is the promise that's for all of us because, you know, I'm using Gregan as, a, as an example, but actually we're called to go into a world that literally hates us and is actually trying to destroy us and love them. And if we haven't got the capacity to hear a hard word from a brother and sister in love that we don't receive as love, then what capacity do we have to step into a world that literally is trying to destroy us and love them in the face of that? That's, that's the corresponding life to the gospel that we've received. So if that life is in you, you've received that gospel. If you're like, actually, these things that are coming against me are for me, I don't even know how they're going to unfold, but it actually doesn't matter because I know him in whom I've believed. So the word performs on itself, doesn't it? You know, and Revelation says there's an eternal gospel that is spoken, and the eternal gospel produces the eternal life, which is what Chris is saying. And so it releases you from the fear of all things. And so there's no hold. So words don't have a hold on you. People's words don't have a hold. How they live doesn't have a hold. You're free of all that. 
So then you're free to receive and um, discern and work with. I love what you said there because everything, you know, we perceive evil and good, you know, but everything's God. You know, everything comes from God, doesn't it? And so everything can be a gift if you within you have the ability to see everything as a gift to then go to the Father and learn and grow. But the Word does that work. If I'm in me, I'm going to be bound up in fear and condemnation. Oh, my goodness, this is a bad dream. Oh, my goodness, oh, no, what does it all mean? And I'm going spiraling down to darkness. As opposed to going, take to the Father, being complete freedom, and go, well, show me so I can learn. So if there is something, I want to grow. Nothing's a negative in God. It's all a positive no matter what it is because it's all an opportunity for more of God. That's what the Word positions you for. So when the Word's not positioned you, the opposite is there. And that's when you give the devil and your flesh and the world an opportunity to take you on a roller coaster ride. You know, and he's, he's got control of you, and his words have power over you. Your flesh does. Other people's words have power over you. So if I say this, I cut you. As opposed to you say what you want, who cares? I'm of truth. And, and you know, just going back to that example of condemnation, I, kn- I know that that's written down in there, but this is what we're reading is the testimony of someone that was in this life, and the words came after the experience. So he's giving written words to the life that he was in. And and one is first and the other is second. And it's not the other way around. Reading the words won't bring you into the life. But if you are in the life, you'll be able to write the words. So when when this happened to me this week and I said, I'm, I, this, I don't even know how you can condemn me. Well, I knew that that was written down, but I didn't read that a lot and then have that as a head knowledge, that came out of me. And I actually went to the elders and I said, is that what this means? Because this is what I'm feeling. I'm not trying to misapply it, but it's true in this reality right here that, that I am. I don't feel like you could condemn me at all. And, and that's the difference. One is, one is something that the word itself in me gave uh, witness to, testimony to, and I was able to to live it out. The difference is that if we read the words and try to make them our reality or claim them to be our reality, when the test comes, we're going to find out whether we're in that reality or not. That's the house on the on the rock, you know, or on the sand. You can dress the house up and make it look the part, but if it's not on the rock, when that storm comes, it's going to collapse. And the whole thing about Romans 8 where it talks about that um, condemnation thing, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ yeah, Jesus. Yeah. It's the in yeah. Christ Jesus that's the key. And you look at Romans 8 and the number of times it talks about being in Christ. Yeah. Because if you're in yourself, yeah, you'll feel condemned. Yeah. But if you're in Christ, then the arrows that come at you have no effect because the life and the love that's in you is far greater. It's that submarine thing, the... What's in here is far greater than what's out there coming at you. Yeah, but it's in Christ. And that's what it says in Ephesians. You know that Chris mentioned it, the heavenly places? It's in Christ. So it's not in heaven. It's in the Christ, eternal life. So if you're seated in heavenly places, it means you're in Christ. So then you see as Christ saw. We have this thing that we're sort of seated in this position in heaven somewhere. But I'm here. Okay? And so Christ came to earth 
and I'm to be in the Christ. So if I'm seated in Christ, I'm seated in heavenly places. The kingdom of God is here and here, but I'm on earth. So I'm seated in Christ. So then I see as Christ saw. I hear as he heard. I live as he lived to the measure I'm in Christ is to be in heavenly places. So that's why I love what you said. So when you're tested, Christ comes out to the measure Christ is in me. I'm seated in. It's not this lofty thing somewhere where we're up in the sky and we can't live out an in Christ life. It's an eternal life that's in the Christ. And these are some of the things where we hoodwink ourselves because it sounds really impressive, doesn't it? You know, I have the mind of Christ. It sounds so impressive. And it's like, it should be worded like this. Every one of us has the potential to live in the fullness of Christ through the revelation of the Spirit the day we receive Christ. And that seed has to grow into the tree because Jesus said, I am the vine, I am the tree of life. That's how it should be articulated so we actually know there's a maturing process and we're coming into the fullness of maturity through the word. Because the challenge is, like you said, if you're going to claim it, then speak it. You will know the things that Paul knows if you claim the reality. So the scriptures, all they do is confirm what the Spirit is revealing within you. That's the role of the scriptures, is to confirm what the Spirit is doing in you. So they're second They're not first. The Spirit's first. In the beginning was God, not the Scriptures. So God reveals the reality, and the Scriptures confirm what God is doing because God is your teacher, not the Scriptures. Now, the Holy Spirit can illuminate the Scriptures and bring life from the Scriptures. So can you hear the two that becomes one? Okay. But you don't need the Scriptures to know God. If you do, you're in trouble. Because in the beginning was God, not the Scriptures. So you should be able to throw your Bible away and have a relationship with the Spirit because the Spirit's not a book. The Spirit is here. He's right here. He's where? In you. And He wants to engrave what on your heart and your mind? The Word of God. So then you can know the Word from the inside out and be the expression and the reflection of God on the earth right now today. Because you're living from heavenly places, which are in Christ, and Christ is where? In us. See the beauty of the oneness of all that? And when that is our reality, because that's the answer, how do we know which gospel? We have the corresponding eternal life. So you have the life of the gospel, you have the life of Christ, and that's growing. I'm going to ask you, just any thoughts that you have in, in your journey on all of this? The first thought that I had when I sat at the table was, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) And then God told me, actually, no, it's not right. Because Christ is in me, just like Christ is in the other people sitting at the table. And um, what I was really encouraged about is when Greg said, um, you know, that other people are going to be coming and sitting in the seat that I'm sitting in too because um, there's such beautiful flavour in the body 
um, that we all get to benefit from when we hear from different people. And so I just happen to be one of those people today who um, God wants to share something through, but I'm no different than anybody else, and I look forward to um, some other flavours that we get to hear too along the way. Um, <clears throat> now, hopefully my glasses are clean. Because <laughs> I do have um, some thoughts in my Busy Bee book. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I, I really feel like this morning God wanted me to be honest about um, my journey. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk for half an hour. <laughs> but I just felt like, you know, if you really have an opportunity to say something, um, really say what he has done. And um, as humbling as that is, it's okay. And so, um, yeah, for me, I had to reach a point um, of actually recognising my true state, which wasn't so good. Um, and that was in about October of 2017. We went away as a family for a weekend on a farm. And I'm sorry that I've got my back to some people over there. Um, <clears throat> and there was no signal, no, you know, out the world, outside world, wasn't accessible. And um, I just, I had reached a point where I knew that um, I was in a really bad place and... Uh, there was some pretty yucky stuff in my heart, um, unbelief, pride, I wrote it down, <laughs> comparison, uh, fear of missing out, not knowing who I was or where I belong. And so I was pretty messy and um, I sat down, the, all the family went to the river and I sat down and I just told God all about it, wrote it down and the journal and um, confessed my hideous state um, and what was amazing about that, it wasn't like I had this incredible moment right then but it was the beginning of what was to come and um, for me what was the then come was and is still happening is um, a life of repentance where I had to really repent for the stuff that he knew about, but I hadn't quite reached the point of being ready to let go of. Um, and so I cried out for help, is what I did. I said, help me, God, I need help. I don't want to stay in this place anymore. And what was amazing about that was that it was just an innate thing to do. It wasn't like he had to tell me to do that because... I just, I knew, I was like, this is horrible and I don't want to be like this anymore. And I, I hid it quite well from quite a few people, but uh, not from everybody. <laughs> and I got challenged at times. I got asked a question from my discipleship leader at the time of, um, did I have a problem with Greg or, or did I have a problem with Bird's Eye View as the book or the author? And to be honest, I had a problem with both at the time. And so she, like you're saying, she came to me and she um, 
and love asked me that question and I went home and cried my eyes out um, for a couple of hours like, no, that can't be and she can't have seen that and it was like all part of the um, repenting that had to happen. <coughs> um, and I, I actually had a moment uh, after that where I actually had to publicly repent. It was just like one Sunday night, I was sitting across from Helen and I couldn't stop crying. I just cried. I was like, oh my goodness, I need to stop crying. And I just couldn't stop and I'd stop and then I'd start again. And it was the Ananias Sophia message and I just was cut, pierced to the heart like, oh my goodness, like, if, I don't, if I don't leave this banquet and say sorry, then I might get struck down in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I made sure that I repented um, before I left. And that's that, that is that holy fear of God, like God is sovereign and he has actually struck people down before. Um, and so it's just having that holy fear of him, like actually when he says repent, we need to repent. We don't want to waste time, you know, what Mel was talking about, this urgency it's like, this, this is actually, this is really important. This is our life before him. We don't know when he's returning, so we need to be um, right before him. Um, anyway, and so then, basically, I'm not going to read everything that I wrote, but I just want to say that what happened was, as I allowed this work <clears throat> to start to happen in me, because, again, as we all know and have heard, we can't do this ourselves. And so um, basically in the repenting, I was then inviting him to then start doing the work. Um, it wasn't then I was figuring out how to do it. He was doing it for me. And what was amazing was that then, you know, because I would come here, and I was so resistant. Like, I was one of the people sitting in the back, like burning holes in Greg's forehead. <laughs> I, I was just... <laughs> God healed them. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was just really struggling to receive and it was messy and, you know, fortunately I had, had some beautiful people in my life that have journeyed through with me. Um, but ultimately it's God that has done this work. And so what happened was, as, as I just, you know, I was humbled um, before him, then this actually allowed me to start receiving and to start believing what I was actually hearing, um, which had always been the truth, but I just couldn't hear it. I could not hear it. There was such a wall of resistance up for me. And so what happened was it turned unbelief <coughs> into belief. I was like, I'm actually starting to believe this stuff. Like, wow. And it's, it's actually really good, and it's actually really helping me. Um, my pride, I, had, I definitely had pride. And that's really hard to accept. You don't want to accept that you've got pride. But I know I had it. I had it. I'm sure it tries to pop up every now and then. <laughs> but it was like I, it had to go. The pride had to get cut in order for humility to come to be able to receive what was being said. Um, the comparison part, I didn't know who I was, so I was comparing myself to other people. And then God showed me who 
my identity is in him. And so then that left. It was like, actually, I know who I am. And I know who other people are. And I celebrate who other people are. It's not about me comparing myself to them. Um, and then that feeling of not belonging. And Sandra actually prayed for me one morning. It was probably about four years ago, up the front. And she just continued to pray again and again and again. You belong here. You belong here. You belong here. And I didn't feel like I belonged here. There had been a lot of stuff that happened within me that I thought, I don't, I don't think I belong here anymore. And maybe my family doesn't belong here anymore. And Sandra prayed that, and it was like, it just washed over me, and I just cried. And I was like, wow, God, I actually do belong here. And I'm so glad that I belong here because I would have missed out on, you know, everything that he has been doing. Um, he also, and that's kind of what's happening for me today, uh, and this, this is an ongoing work, and a lot of this is an ongoing work, I'm certainly not a finished product, but fear had to turn into faith, and so, you know, getting up here um, in, my, in myself, this is not, would not be the favourite thing for me to do, but in knowing that he says actually, yes, I want you to do this, then the fear has to go down and the faith has to come up. And so um, I, still ha I was still nervous this morning. I felt like, I said to Jeremy, I feel like I'm going to a running race where I get those pre-race nerves. I need to go to the bathroom a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't feel like eating. And then all of a sudden I get in the run and then I'm like, oh, this is fun. It's actually, that's now how I feel. It's like, oh, I'm sitting around the table with these lovely people, and this is fun. It's not actually scary anymore. Um, and so that's what he does. He does the fear into faith. And the last um, thing on that was my capacity to love. And, you know, um, love is a, uh, is a big... <laughs> it's a big word for me, even though it's only got four letters. Um, I really love people. I really do. But um, there's been times, and I'm sure there still will be, where um, I've loved people, or tried to love people out of myself, and it just wears me out. I just get worn out physically, mentally, spiritually. And so just in the last um, six months, God's been really teaching me about loving out of his capacity and not my own. And there has been many, many opportunities where he's shown me, oh, no, Melissa, you've been loving out of yourself again, and that's why you've worn yourself out. And so it's this perfecting love in us. You know, that's what he does. We can't perfect love in ourselves. We just can't. Don't worry, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about letting him perfect his love within us. And then it's like, you just find yourself like, oh, wow, that wasn't hard at all. And you want to love people who you thought you were going to struggle to love because... 
everybody becomes lovable because he loves everybody and so nobody is void of his love. And so, um, yeah, that's been a really necessary and ongoing work that um, I keep inviting him into in order for his love to be perfected in me. Beautiful. So I hope we're hearing um, an inability in one's strength to be able to live. The relinquishing of that to receive a greater strength to be able to live something that Melissa couldn't live before. And in all that, starting to hear reality that is rather than is not. Cool. Does anybody want to ask... Melissa or ask a question and anything you just heard about the journey from here to here. Do a dance so I can see you. Cool. Speaking to this so people can hear on the, I was going to say the TV, but online. <laughs> Um, my question is, are you able to function from two different sources in different areas of your life? Because um, Melissa said that you are growing in different areas and the revelation comes. And um, Greg, you said that Christ comes out in you in different measures on how you received him. So what does it look like? Because it kind of feels like it's you're either in the source or you're not. But um, So that feels definite. But then can you function from a different position in different areas of life and growth. Um, you guys can answer yep. after me, but I... It <laughs> 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 sounded terrible, didn't it? I just mean, well, something just popped into my head and so I thought, well, I'll just quickly grab the mic. Because if you don't grab it, you're not going to get it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they tend to talk a lot, the panel. <laughs> um, and then I guess, I guess the way that I would answer that question is, so I have been a Christian since the age of five, um, but what I just described about that experience in 2017, I feel like that was a pivotal, life-changing moment for me where, to be honest, I didn't actually even know that I wasn't in what I thought I was in. And so it wasn't obvious to me at all until I had to reach a point that everything had to get completely stripped back. And so so what, and I, I always find that because I've actually wrestled a bit with what you're asking, because I think, okay, so from the age of five to... Um, I'm 48. <laughs> you know, 44, was that all... What, what was I operating in, you know? But um, but I, I truly believe that... I still had a relationship with God, and I still believed in the foundations of my faith but I had that all had to get undone in order to actually be able to start receiving what it what the true gospel is and so 
yes, I, I do feel like there was a lot of ways that God still used me in those 44 years, but um, I, I know I was operating a lot of my own strengths because I had the capacity to, you know, there's just within myself, just from life I knew how to be strong and so that all had to come down because otherwise I just was going to keep defaulting back and back and back into it and I'd learned really well how to do that and so yes that's how I would answer that a little bit but obviously what Hello? Oh, okay, right. Um, I think there's a big aspect of um, what we've received by revelation in this because if we haven't received something by revelation and we're living out of our own understanding, yep, we certainly can live out of two sources. That's my experience. Because if, until God shows you that you're doing that, it's very easy. And that's where this other thing that you were talking about, the name it, claim it thing, you know, because you're still living out of a human understanding. Um, and, and God has to reveal all things of our heart, all things of our mind, all things within us. He's the one that takes us and, and shines his light into darkness in the very first instance, he has to show the darkness that's in there. We actually have to realise, well, certainly for me, I had to realise how dark myself is. There is no light in there at all, you know? And the only thing of light that I have is what Christ has illuminated and formed of himself. Everything else is garbage, it literally is, but that's not something that I understood right from the start. And it's it, he is the one that peels back, and it the the thing the the trap that we can get into is is when we start or we in an area that is unknown of God, we still attempt to come into life through our understanding, and that happens. Um, naturally, that is the natural man, and the, the only the the only way that I don't operate like that is if I'm abiding in Him, because otherwise I will I will constantly go back to the natural man, the natural way, um, because my life is hidden in Him, and I have no life outside of being sourced in Him. I can't produce. Anything unless I abide in the vine. I can't receive anything. I can't hear anything unless I'm looking at him, not at me. And that's a really big mistake that we can make. We can, we can so focus, and Rochelle was talking about that, so focus on our lack that we're busy looking at our lack, and yet Christ says, um, you know, in view of this cloud of witnesses, Throw off everything that entangles and fix your eyes on who? On your on your stuff? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's 
the the beauty is in in rejoicing in what we know of him and and growing in that and that's everything that i've gained of christ is such joy to me is is life is um is everything of beauty and and he adds to that you know and he he shows me what is what is needing to be renewed and and through revelation he does that but not so that i start looking back at that because he doesn't that's not the way he works he always shows me who christ is and who i am in him you know and it, it's it's such a beautiful um, transforming process that only happens in that abiding place of being in him as he is in us and that that connection it's always out of connection I'll try to put it this way and I'll try and break it down into parts knowing it's sort of one big part but we all start anti-God with a spirit of pride that doesn't want God Okay, so whether you've grown up in a Christian home or not, doesn't matter. That's actually how you start. And you could be unaware of that enmity lying in you, which the Bible says is active opposition toward God. And so you can go along being raised up within Christianity and have that still living within you. And that's in every single human being. Okay, so it doesn't matter whether you grew up in a Christian home or not. That acted opposition called the spirit of pride, which is demonic, which is from darkness, is in every single human. That needs to be destroyed. Okay, So that thing needs to be destroyed before you can abide in Christ. So that's you as your foundation. Okay, So you can't have another foundation other than Christ. So you have to be destroyed as your foundation, and he has to become your foundation. And this is all a supernatural spiritual work that happens in you. It's not to you, it's in you. You don't do it, it happens to you. And you know when it happens to you because you're no longer actively opposed. I was actively opposed to God, even though God did miracle and miracle in my life as a non-Christian. I didn't want to live with or for God. I would use God for what I wanted. But the thing in me was opposing God. So until that's removed and broken and smashed and not living, I'm actively the foundation of my own life. Okay, so what we do is, if that's still our reality, we invite God in and he sits on top of us rather than become our source. He's on top of us as the source. So it's called incorporating God into your life. You're justified, but it's always about, you'll know, you'll be asking God to bless your natural life. You'll be living for you because you're still the foundation. You'll come along to places like this. You'll give money. You'll do works, but you're still actively the foundation of your own life. So this inner abiding life you won't have in you. You'll be able to hear his spirit in this because he's in you, but you're not in him. Okay, so you'll be able to hear his voice, hear the things, and do all those things. But what you won't be able to do, like Peter, is deny you when it comes to the crunch. You will always choose you over God. And that's what Peter is. 
He's a demonstration. Peter walked on water. Peter healed. Peter cast out demons. But when the test came, he failed because he was still the foundation of himself. That's how every single human starts life. You are born in that, and you can't get out of that. This is why the mercy of God is so powerful. Okay? Now, I got removed of that, so I'll use me as an example. In 1997, that act of opposition got destroyed in me. What also I got was love coming into me and power and fire all in one moment. Okay? So I go from nothing in the morning, actively still opposing God, I prayed a prayer, help me get out of this jail and this jam, but I'm not in the position I was in at 10 o'clock. There was an exchange. Someone died and someone got raised up. Okay? So love came flooding in. My mind got renewed to a measure. I knew stuff that I didn't know. I'd never been. I never had picked up a book. I never came here. But I had knowledge that all came through that encounter to the measure all right. So this is part of the thing. Is like, can you love out of humanity and love out of God? Of course you can, because you can only love out of God to the measure love is in you. Outside of that, you're going to love out of your human love, but you may not even have that love in you. So all you've got is your human love. Okay. So you might only know what it is to love conditionally, because that act of opposition still hasn't been broken in your life. So you can't actually love because the love of God, the impartation, it's an implantation. It's not just I pray up here, I get it. It has to be a power where it's implanted. Okay, uh, James 1.19 says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. So in humility, you can receive a word implanted that saves your soul. Yeah. So it's not something you just... This is what we're addressing. This is the gospel of just mental agreement from someone saying something and you mentally agree isn't the gospel of transformation. That's the gospel of information. It's not wrong, but it doesn't change you. The gospel of transformation is a supernatural encounter continuously that you hear through the spirit and you find yourself changing. So this is where you can have the two, but some people, I believe, don't even have the one. We're just living from our humanity all the time and our human love. We can't even love someone that cuts us off in a car. We're manifesting. When something doesn't go right at work, we're manifesting. When we don't get what we want, we manifest. When our kids don't do what we want, we manifest. That's humanity manifesting, even in the smallest of things. Now, that's the evidence that I don't have agape in me. It's not patient. I'm not kind. I'm a roaring bull. You know, you piss me off. I'm coming for you. And it's the smallest of things. Who stole all the cookies? Who ate all the biscuits? Where's the pen gone from where? Does nobody care about this place but me? Okay, that's flesh. That's because you are still living. You don't have the capacity to see a wrong and love on it and go to a higher level. Okay, so that's one situation. Now, you may have this love because you may be removed, but you're a work in progress being perfected in love. So you can only love like Christ to the true measure the word is revealed in you. Give you an example of my own life. You've heard this. In Cambodia, me and Danielle, okay, with the team up on the, re- the restaurant roof, and we'd been having a conversation throughout the whole day um, that wasn't going too well. And it continued at the, on top of the roof, and I just got up and left. Everyone else is looking at the sights, and I'm going, I'm done, I've had enough, I'm checking out, I'm gone. 
Okay, so I'm in the tuk-tuk. Packed at the hotel. The phone goes. It's Rodney. What do you want, Rodney? <laughs> I'm not taking that phone call. I know what he's going to say. Come back. I'm not coming back. Okay? <laughs> then the Holy Spirit starts to speak to me. Where are you going? I'm going back to the hotel. Yeah, I know you're going back to the hotel. Why are you going back to the hotel? Because A, B, C, and D. Yep. But why are you going back to the hotel? Because, and then he starts making it about me. (laughs) And I'm like, we're not making this about me, we're making it about her. No, we're making it about you. No, that's not fair. We're going here again. Yeah, we always go here. It's always about you first. It's never about the other person's behavior. It's about your inability to cover that behavior. Yes, it wasn't right. Yes, I saw it the entire day. Yes, there was goading. There was all the things. But right now, you don't have enough of me to love on your wife the way I love you. (sighs) Not here again, Lord. Yeah, I see the love in you. I know you can do these things. But right now, you're getting found out through the test. So what are you going to do? See? And he said, you need more of me. You need more. Like, I'll just say this out of humility. I've got a lot of love in here. Like, he's poured a lot of love in to go through stuff, but I still needed more. Like, how much more? How how much more is this new covenant? How much more? Like, there's no limit to it, Greg. I'll tell you how much more you needed. You couldn't cover your wife. And you exposed her in front of everybody and left her to have to come up with an excuse as to why you weren't there. That's not love, son. Now, that's lust. So <coughs> love was covering the entire day, but then the lack of love wasn't there. My humanity came out, and I couldn't cut it, my humanity. And so it's this two can come out to the measure that love is really in you, but you've got to ask, is there any? He might be covering you, but has he crucified you? See, the gospel crucifies this act of enmity, which is opposition. It's a sword that pierces and cuts the root system that feeds this thing so it can't exist. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you now have the opportunity to enter into everything of life. And so still the mind needs to be renewed. I need to be perfected by the word in love, and so my life is the demonstration, and I'm not living by my feelings. Now, I still might to the measure the word is in me, but the hope is as this process is happening, I can overcome the things that are coming. And there's a love to love not just my wife and my children, but every single person, my neighbor, who is everybody, as Christ loves them, as Christ loves me. And so, yes, you can have the two operating within you. You may not yet have the one operating in you of the source because you're still the source because you're still hanging on. And that's really what Melissa's giving testimony to is hanging on to Melissa, actively opposing what's being spoken, thinking the problem was not Melissa. That's really what she's saying. Okay? And you realize all of a sudden it's like me and the tuk-tuk. The problem's not me. The problem is my beautiful wife. No, son problem is always still you. It's never me, but we want to make God the problem. God, the woman you put me here with in Cambodia. I'll even use scripture to back up my argument. 
No, son. No, the problem is you. But the promise is in me. You hear what I'm trying to say? I'm not a problem, but what was coming out of me was not of him. So I needed more of him. And that's continuous. When, when that turns up, that's, that's beautiful, and I love that, because when he turns up, and like you said, here's the problem, you don't hear you're the problem. Hey, you know what I mean? Like He can speak, and it's corrective, and because you already know whose you are that's already been established in you, he can say things to you that other people might consider harsh, and you go, actually, I'm only hearing love because I know the source that this is coming from, and, so I, and now I have capacity to respond. I had, a, um, I had an example, like a scriptural one that I just wanted to share in that, because I think um, Peter is just an, a, such a great example in so many ways. So obviously in the book of Acts, he has, um, the, the Spirit is poured out, and they, the, the Jews receive the Holy Spirit, and then Peter goes through this process where he's taken down from the roof, he, he sees a vision, Cornelius's delegation comes, and he goes to the delegation, so it goes to Cornelius, and as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles, and this most amazing thing is happening where the Gentiles, for the first time, have received the Holy Spirit. He gets questioned, and he gives testimony to what it is that he's seen, and everyone goes, okay, that's, that's great, but then how does he start living? He doesn't follow what it is that he's seen. And this is my explanation for this, and you guys can sew into it as well or speak into it, is that he's seen something of God. He's, he's had a word spoken to him, but he hasn't received the word in him. And for me, there's a massive difference. So he's seen something. He knows what God's will is in this situation. But as time goes by, he's got thousands of years of history behind him and, and peer pressure and all the fear of man and judgment and all these things turning up. Now, this is a man that is full of the Holy Spirit. He has received the Holy Spirit. He's the instrument that God used to preach the first message where the Holy Spirit was poured out. You know, So this guy is a great example, and yet here he is living without the mind of Christ. Peter did not have the mind of Christ in this instance. But when Paul turns up, who has the mind of Christ, challenges Peter in front of everyone. Now, Peter's probably the guy. What does Peter do? He hears what Paul has to say because he's alive in Christ. He's, he, the old man is dead. So when he's challenged to his face, Paul's rebuking him. What's Peter going to do? Well, he knows the truth when he hears it because he has the truth inside him. And that is a massive difference, you know, and I... I'll just read this, but where it says in, um, in Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And when I read that, I go, man, when, before God turned up in my life, I, didn't even, I wasn't even willing to do his good pleasure. That's the first bit. Now that this life, that this brokenness has happened in this life, the seed of life is in me, I'm willing to do his pleasure. But to do his pleasure, that's another thing. And, and what I read in John where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now what I've realized and what I see 
in the lives of people around me, what I've experienced in my own life, is that when he is revealed in me, the word is becoming flesh in my life. It's no longer something that I do, it's now who I am. And that's why you can't take it away from me, because you didn't give it to me. And so, so what I'm talking about here is the difference between when we act out of our good intentions, I'm willing to do his good pleasure, but I actually can't do his good pleasure unless he's revealed in me to give me the capacity for that good pleasure. That is a drop, Mike. <laughs> I would really encourage everyone to listen to that again. Because that, what Chris said then beautifully articulated many questions that people ask of me all the time. Well, is it this or is it this? Is it this or is it this? And you're looking for this, this or this. And it's a combination of it all. And so just go and listen to that and ask them to show you what that is because it will just bring an absolute clarity and your mind, which is trying to grapple it, will just, oh, I see it now. I see it. Um, we've got about 10 more minutes or 12 more minutes. I just I do want to read a scripture. So I just want to give scripture reference to this life that we can be in. And in the booklet, there's a whole lot of scriptures. Um, but I just want to read John 15, verse 7 to 8. Um, because once again, we, we, we have to allow what God is saying to be our reality without it making us want to go run and hide. Um, so it says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Okay, there's a statement, isn't it? If and if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So there's a condition on asking. See? So there's actually all these. The outcome is determined by the abiding of you and him, him and you. This is this. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So... I'll read it again. My Father is glorified through this abiding and through this asking because it's going to be done. So my Father is glorified by this process that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what's the key to this proving we're disciples? Paul. What I, what I hear is there are keys. I give you the keys to the kingdom. And, and in that... Yeah, but just here. Yeah, so in that is that abiding in him. And so in the abiding of him is the revelation of him. And the revelation of him in me. And my keys don't fit that lock. And, you know, I, I hear that question that you ask, and it so resonated within me. As I, as I would think, well, this, what, you know, I mean, I've walked with him for so long. Am I in? Am I out? What, what is this? And I, you know, I hear Jesus speaking with, I think it was a teacher of the law. And I mean, it's funny that he says to Jesus, well, you have answered well. As if Jesus wasn't going to, but anyway. You know, and Jesus says, yeah, well, you, you are near the kingdom. 
but you're not in it yet. There's something else that has to take place. And I know that, that for, for me it was the exact thing you talked and you said, Greg. You know, it's the pride of life that, that blocks and stops the entering into the kingdom where this abiding then can actually take place. And that, that sitting, I know, I know his word to me, son, you need to stop. Stop what you're doing and sit with me and now abide with me and let me teach you. And the evidence of that is the fruit. It's not tying plums on a plum tree. It will naturally produce. And the beauty is that we become partakers of the divine nature of God and the fruit of the Spirit is exactly that. They're spiritual fruits. So love, the spiritual fruit, you won't know what agape love is until you have something conditional to love over. That's when unconditional love actually flows out. And you don't really know what um, spiritual peace is until you have something that's going to rock that peace. And the hope is that I would recognize if I'm not there so that I can actually abide in him. And actually the evidence of this peace is proof of his work within me. How would you, because I think the challenge is... What does it mean to abide? Because it produces life. And I think this is the, 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 you know, the $50 million question. Um, and so through this abiding, there is a fruit produced which proves something. It's like truth is self-evident. The, the challenge is you can hear this like this, I've got to prove I'm a disciple. That's not how you hear this, okay? Because that is an outcome functional mind hearing the words on the page. Okay, I've got to go now. And that is just full of condemnation, guilt, oppression, darkness. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is through abiding, so through the process of connecting with the spirit through power, there is life, eternal life that is birthed, and it's much of this life. That reality just proves that I'm abiding. I'm connected to the vine. I'm a branch. So anyone can feel free. What actually does it mean to spiritually abide? Because I think this is the key to life in Christ. Um, I, I just feel like that that whole abiding word, like for me, is so about stopping, sitting, being with him. Like, what I was explaining before is I I do have a high capacity within myself, but that is just nothing. It's, it's, it's like the word rubbish in comparison to sitting with him and waiting and listening and, you know, asking, seeking, knocking. It's like... It's like there's nothing else that compares to that. And so when you when you sit with him, so I actually mean physically sitting as well, like you, you actually carving out time to be with him. And that might mean nothing to do with opening this, the word, or it might, but being so intentional and you mean so much to me 
that I'm going to prioritise <coughs> you above anything else in my day. And from that place, then we may be called to get up and... And that, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, hear me, I'm not talking about a quiet time. I'm not. I'm talking about, like, then we, then we get up and we are still with him and he is with us wherever we are going. But I, I know the stark difference between me and him in me where I'm like, it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than being with him. And then there is things that happen, fruit that he demonstrates that you would never be able to own, you would never be able to say, that's me, it's, it's him. He gets all the glory. So if it comes about us again, we've gotten it mixed up. It's the, this passage is saying the fruit will glorify him. The fruit will, the fruit will not glorify ourselves. And if it is, pride's gotten back in the way again and we have to go back and humble ourselves and really we have to do that every day. So that's... Would you say, like you've... So what I'm hearing is you spoke about preparation but the preparation's not actually necessarily the abiding, it's what comes after the preparation, which you described in the second half of what you said. Mm. So, you know, we can sit, we can make the time, we can carve out the time, but nothing happens. But it's the way, maybe one of the ways to it happening, but it's not necessarily the abiding, it's, it's, it's the preparation. It's like you can prepare the food, but nobody eats it. And so what you're describing, that, that first part of that, com- what you're saying is actually <coughs> I need to turn to the one who's going to do a work because I'm racing off living my own life. So I need to stop living and make time and turn. Mm. However he instructs me to do that, I then need to wait. And there's a holy waiting that's required, which there's a fight for because even when you're waiting, your flesh is screaming, yeah? Mm. And your mind is starting to right to-do lists and everything else I should be doing because I'm wasting time because I actually don't yet know what it actually is to abide, but I'm trying to discipline myself to wait on the Lord for where he'll come and all of a sudden does a work in me that now produces an abiding work, which now produces what the second half of what you're saying is this life, which then long-term enables you to find this other reality all the time because it's not based on me spending time in a closet, I'm always abiding. It's irrelevant whether I'm watching football, like I've said, praying here at the movies. It's a continuous abiding life because I've entered into him and he's entered into me and it's just always. Now, there's still times, though, that I may put aside, like I do in the morning, and I'll eat and I'll, you know, I'll just read and I eat and all of a sudden it's like there'll be a spark within me that goes, spend time here. Mm. And I'll just marinate and all of a sudden the spirit within me starts to teach me and then I write. Mm. 
And so it's it, it's coming from the abiding. Is that? Um, I, th- I love the picture of the vine. I mean, it's a great example because he's talking about him being the vine and us being the branches. And that's, that's the picture of what abiding looks like. So the branch isn't sometimes in the vine. It's connected to the vine. I think, I think the answer you're looking for is one. There's a, there's a, there's a oneness. He says, um, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so there's a reciprocal thing there. So my part is to remain in him as his words remain in me. So I'm engaged in the process, but I can't do any of that. And later on, you want to say something? Yeah, I just because it brings it back to what we talked about before with Amin. And it says, um, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, you can't keep his commandments without him in yeah. there, right? And this is where if you're still the true foundation of your own life, you won't be able to abide in the inner life. Okay? You, you, you can't. It's impossible because you, the words he says, you'll go, nah. Okay? So you'll still be able to do what you want to do. So you'll be able to express an external life in God, but you won't have the inner abiding life in God. Does that make sense? Because you're still the foundation. You're still... The pillar, you're still controlling it. And this is this thing. It's, that has to be removed before the true inner abiding life can flow. And so, you know, this is where the other scriptures, John 7, 37 to 39 says, He who believes in me, as the scriptures say, from the innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Well, if you don't believe what he says because that act of opposition is still there, no rivers of living water. It's rivers, guys, of living water from the inside. It's not little trickles. It's not. A, it's rivers. Okay. It's he says, "Who's thirsty? Who's hungry? Come to me. You'll never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty. Why? Because your inner world is full and overflowing and abiding. But if you're still the foundation of you, like Peter, you won't have an inner world. It won't be an inner life. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit." of the abiding spiritual life, you'll be found wanting for. Now, it's okay, but it's the acknowledgement and the recognition of, yeah, I don't have that in me today. Well, I want to put it in you. So, like I speak to you with these so that's, you know, I speak so that my joy may be made full. I speak so you can know in advance. I speak so the word can do a work which prepares you so you can live in accordance to what I say. And it's way more than just healing sick people, reaching lost people. Okay, That's the hoodwink because we can do all that and be void of the inner life. Okay, You're void of the beatitudes. So you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't really care. You're just living for you. You know, you don't see God on regular basis because you're not pure in heart. You're just living for you. You don't celebrate when you're persecuted for love and consider it righteousness. You hate people because you don't have the capacity to love because you're not living for what truly is. And this is the opportunity we get to know the inner life and the external life. But if we're still the source of us will be void of it. And that's what we don't like 
because that's the place of taking you to your death. You see, it's like you've got to lose something you don't want to lose because nobody loses their life intentionally. So you've got to, you've got to, if you won't lose anything intentionally, you need a greater source, don't you, to come and trump you. And that's what he's saying. Do you recognize you need me at the innermost being place? And will you acknowledge it today and then turn and be found waiting in that posture Melissa's describing? That's what he's looking for from this church. Some of us have gone through the process and are on the other side of it and are praying and living and encouraging and wanting to walk with people. Still quite a few people haven't gone through that process yet, but you're hearing of it and it's like, oh my goodness, oh that sounds a bit scary, that sounds out of control. It is. It's going to take you out of your control. You haven't been there before. So trust in those that have, that are calling you on, calling you up, that are coming up and down that ladder. Can come on. There's life through this process. I know it appears like death, but it's actually life. And then it's just the willingness to allow him to do so you can actually have much fruit. That's just one passage in scriptures that talk about this all-encompassing, overflowing, abundant life within you. Amen? So I'm going to ask you, if that's you today, why don't you stand with me and we just pray a prayer of repentance, of saying, Lord, I acknowledge my true state. I recognize it. I acknowledge it. I'm going to turn and I'm going to be found waiting. So that's you, stand with me. Once again, you don't have to. It's only if the Spirit is drawing this. Like we've talked about, might not even be your time, and that's all good too. Father, today, before you and one another, we recognize our heart posture. And we know we're loved and being covered by you and one another in this heart posture. Father, I thank you that there's no condemnation, guilt or shame in being where we're at today in you because we're children who are learning what it is to know you, know who we are in you, and know your purpose and your plans. And your love covers while we grow. I thank you for that. So, Father, we recognize and today we confess it. So just in your own words, I just want you to confess out of your own mouth and just say, Lord, this is where I'm at today. Just do that right now in your own words. Thank you, Lord. He hears the heart. Father, today we acknowledge our true state before you. And we're so thankful that you're making us aware of our true state so we can turn. You're giving us an opportunity, like Melissa said that Sunday night, to turn and to be able to enter into something that you have for us that you so jealously desire for us to have and receive. And so, Lord, we stand before you 
free of all those things and just say, forgive us. And we receive that. We receive your forgiveness, your mercy, your love again and again and again. And Father, we turn this morning and may today be a stake in the ground that just like we've heard Melissa say, when her family went off to play, she stood and did business with you. And she got serious with you and said, no more, I've had enough. And I'm going to be found in this place waiting. And Lord, I pray you would give us the strength, if we lack the strength, to be able to be and wait until you turn up. Father, you've given us images and prophetic words of horses that were coming. And there were counterfeit horses that were coming in the vision that's in the booklet if you want to read about it. And Mary Ann said, no, she said to her friends, wait, because the real thing is coming. And the enemy will get you looking at false horses, false realities. He'll try to get you out of this holy waiting. He will say, it's done. It's not going to happen. What are you doing here? You're a fool. And rebuke those words, take them captive, and send them back to hell where they come from. No, I've got a word that I and the Father are doing business today. And the Father would say to you, will you be found waiting? Will you be found waiting? Even if I don't turn up tomorrow or in a week, will you be found waiting for me? Go into that upper room and wait. There's power coming. But he never told them how many days or hours. He just told them to wait. I want to encourage you as my brothers and sisters to be found waiting. And whatever it takes and how long it takes to be true to what you are committing to today. He is not on the, the dock. He's not in question. He will perform because as we've heard, he's not a, he's not a liar. And what he says is unchangeable. So, Father, I thank you for humility today, transparency, vulnerability of us all to before you and one another know there's no shame and we can become naked like they were in the garden and say it as it is and encourage each other to live this whole life in you and be this church you're calling us to be. So, Father, Holy Spirit, go to work in our hearts and our minds right now tonight, tomorrow. And may we have a testimony, an ongoing testimonies of this life in us. In Jesus' name, amen, God.